Good morning. I want to start off today's message by opening up uh, something that many of us will get in the mail at different times throughout the year. It's an RSVP. How many of you ever received one of these in the mail, whether for a wedding or a birthday party or something of that nature? According to the Urban Dictionary, the words or those letters RSVP stand for something like this. Remember, send a valuable present. <laughs> now, but as you may have guessed, we're in church, and we at Erie First are not promoting the Urban Dictionary meaning of RSVP, but rather we're going to be looking at those letters RSVP through the lens of our purposeful outreach vision. Therefore, RSVP, as it relates to today and the, the coming weeks ahead, is your response is needed. Over the past couple of weeks, we have been challenged to consider God's love for others and the lengths that he will go to make sure that people know that he loves them, the lengths that he has taken and will take to have a relationship with those he has created and given life to. Lengths that include what we will be reminded of during the upcoming Good Friday and Easter season, that he sent Jesus Christ to die upon a cross as a demonstration of his love for you and I. The perfect Son of God, Becoming the perfect sacrifice to display God's perfect love while giving us a way to be perfect in relationship with him. Now through what we have learned, we know that God places in an incredible amount of value on people. And while this information is great to know, if we just gather information about God and how he feels about us, but then decide to do nothing about it, well, then we would be nothing more than a school that educates its students and never allows them to get out into real life and to put into practice what they have learned. Now, the same thing holds true for the church, for you and I. So we've been educated on God's heart. We know how he feels about people, as was just shared by Sarah. We've studied his word, but now it's time for us to leave the classroom that we call church and engage in the Great Commission by putting into practice what he has shown us, what we have been called to do as followers of Jesus Christ, as people and a church that are committed to purposeful outreach. Now, I know the following statement and or question is going to seem so elementary to you when I speak this. But as I was preparing for this particular message, I felt like the Holy Spirit was speaking to me and giving me a sense for the direction that he wanted us to go this morning. Isn't it glad to know that a pastor is listening to the Holy Spirit? Amen. Even with how elementary this question may be. And here was the question that I was being challenged with. 
how does a person respond to an RSVP if they've never received the invitation? Some of us have been in that particular situation in life, haven't we? That situation where all of a sudden one day you walk into the workplace or to school or walk into church and somebody says, how come you didn't come to my party? Why didn't you show up at the wedding? And you start racking your brains and say, wait a minute, I never received the invitation. It's hard for us to expect somebody to respond to an RSVP, an invitation, if they've never received it. Amen? In the book of Ephesians, we'll be looking at chapter 4 in just a moment, we can read the letter that the Apostle Paul has penned to this younger church at Ephesus. And commentators agree that Paul, as he was writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that part of Paul's goal in writing this was to educate this young church, to expand the horizons of the readers so that the church could understand not only God's purpose and grace, but also his goals, the application, the action that he had for the church. The emphasis in Paul's letter being on that component of action through application of the word. Now, for the sake of clarity, this means that we are charged as a church. We are charged as individuals, as followers of Jesus Christ. If we say that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, then we have been commissioned to be a part of this application, of the action of communicating God's love to a world that needs to hear him, to a world that needs to know him, to a world that needs to be loved by him. So in Ephesians chapter 3 and chapter 4, there are two particular verses that I want to just draw in their basic form to light. And Paul is saying, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. Get that. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. There's no option in there. He's saying part of the function of the church is to communicate God's plan for humanity. And then the other one is this, that we should live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. Now, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you have received a calling as well because you're now lo no longer uh, a person that is, that is bound up with their own way of doing things. Remember, Lord and Savior. So if I'm saying, Jesus, you are my Lord, you are my master, then I am committed to following him with him in that role of Lord and master. And part of the Lord's commands to us is that we are to be in a people that are engaged with the calling that he has given to us. I've titled this next particular component of my message, Get in the Game. The other day, Julie just registered our son Elijah for another year of Little League Baseball. 
Elijah's been playing baseball since about the age of four years old, and every year that, that we have had him in the Little League system or in the development system, uh, we recognize that there is an expectation not only of Elijah, but also of mom and dad. Then there's this expectation that, that follows the signing up. As Elijah moved into the Little League system here uh, just this past year, I'll never forget this poor kid. We showed up at the tryouts because you start to move into a tryout and a drafting process, and we moved into the tryout component of uh, the Little League uh, start of the year. And all of a sudden, as we walk into this gymnasium, because the, the part of the state that we were at over in the northeastern part gets snow just like we do here, and this time of year, there's just no time to, or it's not conducive to playing ball outside. So we're in this gymnasium, and there's this batting cage that is setting up. And sitting outside of the batting cage is this row of tables. And there was 12 to 16 coaches sitting behind each table while each individual child stepped into the cage to perform in front of these coaches. You talk about intense. The only sound you could hear in that gymnasium was the crack of the ball as the, the, as the young people were being pitched to. And I'll never forget the process that, that he was introduced to as he nervously stepped in and he did very well and he, he hit pitch after pitch after pitch that was thrown to him. But then I saw this, this kid that walked away from that process that day with this big question, have I been selected as were all the other players? Have I been selected? Well, what was going on was the coaches were having a draft. And they were comparing notes. And not every person was going to be picked. About a week later, we got a phone call at the house, and it was the coach of one of the teams. And I'll never forget what he spoke to our son. Hearing on the, the other side of this, he spoke to Elijah, and he said this. He said, Elijah, I'm picking you for our team. Because I have an expectation that you can contribute to this team. I am picking you because I know that you can play ball, but I am picking you because I know you're going to be committed. And I know that every time you take the field, you are going to play your best. And Elijah, although you're young, I've got some high expectations for you. And the expectations were put out very clearly. Elijah, you're going to have to show up to practice you're going to have to listen to your coaches. You're going to have to work hard. You're going to have to work in developing uh, with this team that is already partially assembled. Elijah, you're going to need to come dress properly. Your cleats, your protective gear, your bat, your glove, your, your clothing. But more importantly, Elijah, when it comes to game day, you have an expectation that you are going to take the field and you are going to give, and we've heard this, 110%. The expectation of the coach was clear. Elijah, I'm picking you because I expect you to perform. Well, God has a similar expectation for us. Amen? His expectation isn't that he's going to field a little league team and he's going to be looking at some scoreboard out in right field with the, the, the little leaguers' uh, scores up on that board. But his expectation for those who choose to follow him is that we get on God's game plan. 
And God's game plan is he is concerned about those who are dying and going to hell. God's game plan includes that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. And his game plan includes you and I communicating that message to a world that is desperate. To a world that desperately needs to know that there is hope and that there is a God who loves them. And that there is a Savior by the name of Jesus Christ who gave his life for them. This morning, as we continue to understand the challenge and the expectation that God has for us, I'd like you to take a peek at Matthew chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 13 and 14, and we're going to spend the rest of our time here on this particular passage. And for the sake of those that are, that are on my my left, we're going to be using a little bit of an illustration here. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 and 14, Jesus, in communicating the expectation to his followers, to his disciples, is saying this, you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. Now, in all reality, is Jesus saying, I want you to go buy a yellow raincoat, dress up and look like the Morton Salt Girl, or go buy the brightest headlamp that you can find and just wear that walking through your everyday life? Of course not. But at the point in time where Jesus is speaking, this particular message is a point in time where Jesus is, is now engaging the masses, This is part of the the passage that we will often term the Sermon on the Mount. So in Matthew 5, verses 13 to 14, where Jesus is saying, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. At this point in time, Jesus is speaking, I am in the business of starting a revolution. I am bringing God's kingdom here to this earth and I am going to empower you followers to do something impactful in people's lives. And so Jesus uses this particular metaphor of salt and light to teach. Now as I was looking at this particular metaphor of salt, I've been spending the last several weeks with a group of you in a class called Everyday Evangelism, and I've enjoyed my time working through the scriptures and discussing Uh, what God's word means when it comes to us being salt. Now, i got to be honest with you. When I say the word salt today, many of us think a couple of things. Number one is health issues. If there's a lot of guys in here, like my case, you you think of scolding, your hand being slapped at the dinner table because your wife won't let you use a lot of it, right? Or then there's also the the salt component when we we drive through the McDonald's drive-thru and you say to the the high school worker there at that drive-thru, hey, I need a packet of salt for my fries. And what do they do? They hand you out two handfuls of salt, right? Salt is uh, readily available to us today. Almost very commonplace. But in studying this component, when I was asking myself, God, why this issue of salt? Here's what I came to find as it relates to salt. You see, salt is critical to survival. 
In preparation for this particular message, I, I happen to pull out a Harvard medical report that states this about salt. It sounds impressive, doesn't it? I bring in Harvard Medical and into today's message. This is what it says. The human body cannot live without some salt. It needs to transmit, excuse me, it is needed to transmit nerve impulses, contract and relax muscle fibers, including those in the heart and blood vessels, and to maintain a proper fluid balance. Now, Salt in the time of Jesus was also readily, um, readily recognized as something that was of great value. So not only was it something that is needed for our bodies to function, salt was incredibly valuable in the time of the early disciples. In fact, the Romans would often pay their soldiers in salt, and that's where we get the phrase, worth one salt, Salt, as we know, can make us thirsty. You go to the, the movie theater, right? What do we get? Popcorn? I don't know if you can see that. Nice yellow popcorn there. And so it seems like at the movie theater, they just keep putting salt on the popcorn. But popcorn without salt, how does it taste? Rough. You guys that eat popcorn without salt, I don't know how you do it. The movie theater, they're not stupid. When it comes to salt and popcorn, they load it up, right? Your first taste of that, what happens? You're like, oh, man, I need something to drink, right? No. We're buying gallons of soda, right, in order to quench our thirst. We recognize that salt makes us thirsty. If you go to a bar, which nobody raise your hand, but if you're going to a bar... And you're sitting at that stool, not that I've ever been there, not that any one of you have ever, just try and imagine what this might look like. There's pretzels out in front of you. What's the goal of the bartender? Eat the pretzels so that you buy more to drink, right? Okay, so salt makes us thirsty, it makes us crave thirst. Salt is also a flavor enhancer, as I said, with the popcorn. So if it doesn't have salt on it, it's not going to taste very good. French fries, can you imagine French fries without salt? Rough, huh? So how about mashed potatoes without it? Steak, corn on, how about corn on the cob? Now I was at a place last night where I had corn, and the first thing I asked for was salt. I couldn't find it. It was tough to get down. So salt enhances the flavor in things. Salt preserves. Now, we are so caught up in our modern-day technology today and the, the convenience of modern-day, and, and listen, I'm not knocking this. I like our modern-day conveniences. But prior to refrigeration, salt helped to slow or stop the process of decay. So, therefore, I could buy meat, salt it, and know that it would be preserved. Have you ever gotten salt in a wound? What's it do? Woo-hoo-hoo! Lights you up, doesn't it? So I've had it. You, you didn't realize you had a paper cut there until you hit, the salt hits it. What's it doing? It's killing off germs and bacteria. And get the flavor for what we're talking about? Come on, that was good, all right? So Jesus is giving us an effective picture of how he wants you and I to effectively reach people for his Father's kingdom. Now Paul a great disciple of Jesus, expands on Jesus' metaphor when he instructs us in the book of Colossians to make sure 
that we are seasoning with salt. Colossians 4, 5, and 6, if you could turn there. I remember our daughter Madison, this is one of her first memory verses at this squeaky little age of three years old. I remember that tiny little girl, she got up on the coffee table to preach this verse to us. Be wise in a way that we act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let that sink in just for a moment. The New Living Translation puts it just slightly different, gives a little different flair. Live wisely amongst those who are not believers. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive. I want to look at these words, and this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time in Colossians chapter 4, 5. Be wise in our actions. Our actions matter. They can show that we genuinely care for people. I'll never forget the time that Julie and I were teaching on outreach and someone in our congregation started to ask for prayer in this particular area and couldn't figure out why they weren't being effective in their evangelistic approach with others. In that same conversation where this individual was asking for prayer, happened to be a lady, she let slip in the middle of her prayer slash testimony. How many of you know you've got those prayer requests that turn into testimonies and then turn into confessions, right? In the middle of that particular piece, we find out by her own admittance that she slaps the neighbor. She can't figure out why she can't reach the neighbor, but yet when they're arguing with one another, she slaps the neighbor. Now, This is true. This isn't made up. We can't make up some of this stuff that comes from the platform, right? I can't figure out why I can't get that person, Pastor Jim, and then, boom, I slap her. (laughs) That's probably not the Jesus she wants to know. So our actions matter. Sometimes we, we we don't give this a whole lot of consideration. Now, conversely, I have seen that time after time again, that our actions, when they are expressed in an appropriate, Christ-loving, Christ-honoring way, I can see where they, they open up a whole world of opportunity for discussion and invitation in people's lives. In fact, as we approach the 200 mark, some of you may have neighbors that might need some help shoveling out at times. I've been on the other side of that where our driveway has been shoveled in and you you see the neighbor just going down the way with their snowblower plowing it all through and making sure their edges are all really nice and pretty up to that edge. But you yourself are stuck. If there's an emergency, you're not getting out. You know what I mean? Right? And you're you're, you're praying to God, God, please let him look over and see our driveway. We just need a little pet. I prayed that prayer a lot, you know? And, And for some reason, I don't ever see that happen. But yet, you get another little dust. Oh, they're out there again. You know, and so here's the deal, folks. If you own one of those things, help out your neighbor. That's something that would be appropriate. If you live by me, I'm open to that as well as an outreach, okay? In all seriousness, 
I remember a neighbor of ours. Um, this guy had a whole lot of time on his hands. He was a retired guy. And this guy, because remember I said he's my neighbor, and this guy had like no time on his hands. He's retired uh, neighbor. I'm a young, developing family type of a neighbor. And so we're, we're out. We're running, you know, all the time. Well, this guy had nothing better to do than to critique me. I'd be mowing the lawn. You know, come back. And he'd be on the other side of the fence watching. No lie. Here's the fence. He's watching me mow. So I'd stop and I'd say his name. And I'd say, hey, what's going on? You know, obviously you want to talk. I didn't say that part, but I'm thinking that, right? Hey, what's going on, blah, blah, blah. You know you're mowing wrong. No, I, I didn't know I was mowing wrong. I've been mowing since I was 10 years old. I, I know how to mow. Well, you know, you did that direction the same time last week. Now, I will give him this. You are supposed to cut your lawn at different angles and different directions, all right? I just didn't care. Now, it wasn't that my lawn was seven or eight inches up. My lawn, I keep pretty nice. But he's giving me this, this, this deal. You're cutting it wrong, okay? So I'm, I'm being polite. I'm listening to you. And then, you know, the next week as we're, we're gardening, gardening or something, I'm getting his two cents into the midst of how we're doing that wrong and, and this and that. And it just keeps continuing, well, one day, he didn't like our kids. Sorry, kiddos, he didn't like you. He didn't like our kids, and uh, he didn't like that they played. Laughing bothered him. Real, for real. So if they'd be on a trampoline jumping, he didn't like that they were laughing and having a good time. If they were playing ball in the backyard, he didn't like that they were doing that. If they were drawing with sidewalk chalk on the concrete sidewalk, he didn't like that because it was graffiti in his mind. Even though they're nice little flowers and birds and all this other fun stuff, right? even though you can take a garden hose and just spray it off. It got bad with this particular neighbor. It got bad to the point where, and I'm gonna confess here for just a moment, it got bad to the point where I just didn't care to see him. And I started to get some resentment towards him. It got to the point where one day, the kids were out playing ball in the backyard. They hit the wiffle ball over the fence. It goes in their yard, and this was the funniest thing I have ever seen. I saw an adult that had been standing, positioned at the corner of their house, waiting for something to happen. Do this. And went into their house with my children's wiffle ball. I couldn't believe it. The resentment grew, got to the point where I didn't care to see this individual across the way. I wouldn't talk to this individual anymore. Got to the point where my kids were starting to feel mom and dad's attitude, more dad's attitude towards the neighbor and weren't speaking well. One day as I was praying, my couch in our back room actually was against the wall that faced his house, and I'm down on my knees and I'm praying. Oh, God, you know, do this, do this, planet shake, do this. Use me to save the world, blah, 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 blah. Give me the messages that you want. Lord, help me to make an impact to people around me. <laughs> you know what the Holy Spirit said. It's not about your neighbor. Oh, God, I, can I retract any of that? How about your neighbor? Hey, Pastor Jim, you can bring my word. You can talk to others about me. 
But how are you doing at loving your neighbor? Ooh. God, you know what a jerk he is. <laughs> Come on, God's real. We can clean up our words a little bit with him, but he knows the heart, and that's what my heart was saying. This guy's a jerk. He said, listen up, buddy. You need to do some work. Okay, show me the opportunity. So what I did with this particular individual, and this, again, we're talking about being wise in our actions. God gave me the opportunity. One day I'm, I'm looking across at his lawn, and the grass is getting up there, and part of me wants to say, hey, uh, you know that lawnmower tip that you gave me? Yours is beyond the inches that you were talking about. And I'm saying, man, this just isn't characteristic of him. So I get out the lawnmower one day, and I actually mow his lawn for him. Nothing. No callback, no nothing. No, hey, what are you doing mowing my lawn, blah, 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 blah. I do it a couple of times. It was in that threshold between the transition of fall into winter, and the next thing you know, there's snow on the ground, and sidewalk's not taken care of. Okay, I'm going to practice what I preach. Go over, snowblower all the way up to his house to do that a couple of times. And then I knock on the door one day. Just felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, now's your time. I, walk, I knock on the individual's door and I say to him, brother, not brother, I call him by his name. I said, man, um, everything okay? I want to make sure I'm not offending you. I'm not looking for a thanks. Are you okay with me doing this? Here, what I found out is he gotten sick. His wife um, was just about as mean as he was. And I'll never forget this time where I sat in their living room and I said, is there anything I can do to help? And they said, thank you for what you have done. But I'm in bad shape. Started a dialogue. And the next thing you know, as weeks go by and they turn into months, I'm being invited in towards this man's last days. Would you pray with me? I want to be assured that I'm going to go to heaven. Would you give me communion? Those simple acts of kindness opened up a door which I could give that man an assurance of salvation, not based off of anything I sacrificed, but because of what God was doing through me. And it allowed me to have the discussions that needed to happen with that guy. If I had not taken advantage of the opportunity that God had placed before me, even though that I had been offended by him time after time again, I wouldn't have had the pleasure of being at his funeral knowing that this man was in heaven. So in Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, it says, listen... Be wise in a way that we act towards outsiders. We act. The second part of that is that we are to make the most of every opportunity. Do you see that in the passage there? Church, God gives us opportunities all the time to represent him. Now, I just told you a, a, a good opportunity that we took advantage of with action. This time here, this was a, another situation. I, God always speaks to me when I'm mowing. I don't know why. 
But I'm going to give you another mowing story. In fact, Julie said to me the one day, she said, so how was your prayer time out there? I just looked at her kind of funny. And she said, I can hear you praying as you're mowing. And I, I'm like, wow, you know, you're so close to the mower that the engine drowns you out, but you don't give consideration to all those around that might be listening. That's me. I get lost. I'm praying in the spirit. I'm praying, blah, blah, blah. One day I'm mowing. I'm doing a push mow, and I'm mowing, and, and the Lord speaks to me about another neighbor. And he says to me this. He says, Fran's going to die. Huh? Fran's going to die. Um, what do you want me to do about it? I'm mowing, right? What do you want me to do about it, Lord? She doesn't eat her grass cut, but Fran's going to die. And he said to me this word. He says, where's she going? Oh, God, when he speaks like this, oh, my goodness. He reveals so many things. Make the most of every opportunity. Where is she going? She is going to die. So I said to Julie that day, I said, hey, God was speaking to me, and he says, Fran's going to die. Within a couple of days, uh, I'm, I'm sitting there wrestling, what's my approach to this? How do, I, you know, how do you go up to somebody and say, God says you're going to die? How's your salvation? How's your relationship with him? Pastor Michael, God says you're going to die. Well, guess what? We're all going to die unless he returns to rapture us home before then. So I'm wrestling with that, and the next thing you know, Fran's in the hospital. We get the message from her daughter. Hey, Fran's in the hospital. So that day, I, I don't remember if I was preaching on that particular Sunday, but Julie's and my uh, agreement that morning was that we're going to get up, we're going to go to the hospital, I'm going to talk deliberately to Fran about her salvation and making sure that she is assured that she knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And wouldn't you know, Church happens that day, bang up message, the whole gamut. We get into the car, we're on our way into St. Vincent, and the next thing you know, before we even cross Gerard, uh, the threshold of Gerard into Fairview, Julie and I are squabbling, right? Husbands and wives in the room, you know what I'm talking about, right? I don't even know what it was about, but we got to arguing. So then the next thing that happens is we decide, oh, let's get her some flowers. We can't even agree on that component. And we start in, we're, by this time we're in past Fairview, and we're, we're on our way into the Milk Creek Corridor, and we're still going at it. And the next thing you know, I'm pulling the car over, because I'm like, we're not in any condition to go to the hospital and minister to some lady. Make the most of every opportunity. We argue a little bit more. Yes, we need marriage counseling. Where's Tom Matta and the meds here? <laughs> We're arguing a little bit more, and we finally get to the hospital. And I'll tell you what, you talk about the enemy at work. The daughter comes out of the front door at St. V's. We now have some flowers or a little gift that we're going to give. And we go to the doctor and we say, here, would you give those to your mom? We stop short. What happens? I'm feeling guilty. God, you told me this lady's going to die. I didn't fulfill your commission. What did you call me to do? What am I supposed to do now? I get a phone call from the daughter. Mom's not dead. She's coming home. Whew. Okay, I've got another week, right? I breathe easy. I've got some time. A day later, another phone call. Mom's dead. I never took advantage 
of the opportunity to talk to this lady about her salvation. And God had spoken to me very clearly that she was about to pass. That has been something that has stayed with me time after time again. So what have I done? What have I implemented so that this never happens again? She asked we're to be wise in the way we act towards outsiders. We are to make the most of every opportunity that God gives us. And let's face it, I sometimes I just joke and I say, you know, I'm a guy. I can be thick sometimes. So what I pray every morning is this. God, show me when you're speaking. Show me the opportunities that you have in front of me. And if it looks like I'm going to miss it, tap me on the shoulder and say, mister, here's your opportunity. And you know what he does? According to James chapter 1, verse 5, this is what the scriptures will say. It says this, if we lack wisdom, we can ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. That means that I can pray in the morning, God, show me the opportunities that are in front of me. As I make the most of my opportunities that God gives me, just the other day, I was praying that prayer, and I said, God, give me the opportunity. I'm your servant. You you make me a servant to whomever you want to to make me a servant to today. (laughs) Came into the office. No, Pastor John didn't need counseling. I came into the office and it was, hey, there's a situation with chapel. There's a tech issue with the students that are coming into the chapel. Little did I know that morning as I was praying that prayer of God, make me a servant to all, that God was making me a servant to 6th, 7th, and 8th graders. And I saw it right in front of me because God was tapping on me and he was saying, hey, mister, he says, listen, those sixth, seventh, and eighth graders need some servanthood. And so I said, okay, God, I'll do whatever you want. Little did I know yet that it was the first step of obedience and the first step was setting up their, their tech and just being allowing, allowing them to do what they needed to do that morning. Well, then Pastor John looked at me at one point and he says, you know, chapel's going to end early unless you've got something to say, Pastor Jim. Well, that morning, the Holy Spirit had put on to my heart uh, the passage where, where Paul is challenging Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, life, love, faith, and in purity. And I'd been meditating on that particular passage, and all of a sudden, I've got sixth, seventh, and eighth graders, young people, and God is saying, I'm giving you a 20-minute window, mister. Are you going to take advantage of it? And I said, you betcha. And I had an incredible opportunity with 6th, 7th, and 8th graders to open God's word. We make the most of every opportunity. Finally, we're to speak with grace and to speak in the seasoning of salt. Full of grace means we don't get up in people's grill when they do something wrong. Full of grace means we We forgive them in the name of Jesus. When we're working towards uh, inviting people to church, the outsiders, those that are non-believers, don't be surprised when they sin. You sin. Don't be surprised when they sin. Don't be surprised if they use foul language. Don't be surprised if they they make an excuse or they tell a lie. They're sinners in need of a Savior. Sometimes we feel like, oh, I can't, I can't reach out to them. They're, they're just too far gone. Uh-uh. We're to speak with grace. 
We're to season with salt. When we are slow to speak, when we're deliberately thinking about treating others with grace and seasoning with salt, when we stop and we think about these things, we allow the Holy Spirit to give room, or we give the Holy Spirit room to speak into our lives and to pray. You know, when you're talking to somebody, you can pray at the same time. You can be talking with Pastor Michael on something and praying, God, give me wisdom in the midst of this, and still not lose a step with that. When we are speaking with grace and seasoning with salt, this is why James tells us in chapter 1, verse 19, to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Give God room to speak in the midst of the situation, and you will be amazed at what the Holy Spirit speaks through you. Church, we are coming upon a time, the Easter season, when people are expecting to be invited to church. My challenge to us today is, will we take advantage of the opportunity? Now, I believe that every one of you was handed a card somewhere in the midst today, correct? Can I see one of those cards? Nick, can I borrow your card, buddy? How do I put a sermon like this into play in my own life? Well, you can see on your card that there's a salt packet attached there, correct? You should all have a salt tack packet. Here's what I'm, what I'm asking you to do. Is take, you don't have to do this right now, but I want you to take a good hard look at that. And I want you to remember every one of you that says that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus is telling you that you are the salt of the earth. And now you have an opportunity to make a difference in somebody's life. So what I'm asking you to do is to say, God, who would you have me invite to church? This has got to be one of the easiest invitations that I have seen in a long time because we're offering free pancakes for breakfast. Not only do we have the Easter season where people expect to be invited, now what you can say is, hey, friend, our church is having a free pancake breakfast, and I would love for you to come and join us. No commitment. You're not going to be asked to sign the dotted line. You're not going to be asked to do anything. But would you be my guest for breakfast and then come with me to church? That is pretty sweet and how simple that is. Or maybe you needed an opportunity to put this in somebody's hand. Well, let me give you the other opportunity. There's a bake sale that's going on right now by our, by our kids that are going down to Hershey Convention. Why don't you stop by, pick up a tray of cookies... Don't eat them. Buy those cookies in an evangelistic mindset and go up to your neighbor and say, we had a bake sale at school today. I was thinking about these, or bake sale at church today. I was thinking about these. I'd like you to have them and see if they'll take those. And oh, by the way, next two weeks here, we've got some great things going on at church. Would you like to join me? It doesn't get any easier than that. But here's what I want to caution you on. Some of you, man, you're going to walk out of here. You're going to be all pumped up. Remember, we're to be wise in the way we act towards outsiders. Now, I, I feel bad for that one little person out there that's going to get somebody that's just totally sold out on all this, but they're not going to be able to show any restraint in what happens. We're like, now, is that a good use of that salt? Right? 
So let's be wise. Let's be, God, what do you want me to do? And God, how am I to do this for you? Because I guarantee you, when Jesus says to his people, I want you to be salt and light, I guarantee you he has opportunities for that salt and light to be used. Amen? Let's stand. Here's what I'd like us to do as we close. Cards in the air. Get your cards in the air. Come on, I see two. Okay, I'm doing a little better. Come on, there we go. Let's do that. Let's wave these cards in the air. Every one of these cards represents a person. Okay? Got them. Some of you are being like, hey, no, I'm not going to do it. No, I'm telling you what, you want to do this because God's got a great plan. So get those cards in the air. Here's what we're going to pray. God, show me that person. Use me as salt. Hold them up. Almighty God, in Jesus' name, I thank you for this opportunity that we have had today to open up your word. I thank you for the challenge that is in front of us to be a people of action, to be a people who will season those around us with with grace and salt, to make the most of the opportunities that are in front of us. So God, right now I am believing you that every card that is held up in the air is a person that is going to receive this invitation. And I pray for every one of those salt packets that's attached there, Lord God. I pray that you would encourage us and show us where we can better people, uh, be a better people of salt in the opportunities, in the situations, in the workplace, in the school, wherever that may be. I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.